0: Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Me all here to First Baptist Church. Uh, I'm really excited that you are all here with us this morning, and uh, this is actually an exciting and, and wonderful time of year. I mean, if you think about this, Christmas is almost upon us, and our Christmas program is next week. Gosh, I it just—it's hard to believe that, and, um, and and it's kind of blowing my mind because wasn't it like last week? Wasn't it February? <laughs> you know what I mean? And like like two days ago, it should have been like July, I think. You know what I mean? So um, this year's really really flown by, but but when when I think about it, when I think about this last year, and I really, like, actually, like, make myself sit down and think about it, we've actually gotten a lot done this year. And, uh, and more importantly, we've covered a lot of ground this year. In fact, we've... Um, you know, we've talked about a lot of stuff. We've we've really touched on some really big subjects. Not to mention, you know, we've engaged in some up close and personal conversations about some big and difficult topics, things that we needed to come to face to face with. And and we started the year off with this series titled "Resolve." And in this series, we looked at making you know a resolution to grow in our abiding relationship with uh, Christ. You know, because Jesus says, you know, I you know He says, "I'm the vine; you are the branches. That you need to abide in Him." And so we talked about seven spiritual disciplines that you can practice in your life that help you grow in that abiding relationship with Christ. Uh, And then we moved on to a series called World of Doubt, and in this series we tackled the really, really big questions, you know, the, the things that get in the way of people's faith. We talked about the toughest of objections that people have when it comes to faith in God and and, and belief in the Bible. And and what we came away with is the conclusion that trusting in Christ is actually the most logical uh, conclusion a person can come to based on all the evidence of of science and philosophy and creation and and scripture itself. And then we jumped into our church-wide campaign, Transformed, and this was a a great opportunity for us to come together as a church and everybody, uh, including all of our small groups, for six weeks We're all going to. The same direction, and, and the, the results were astonishing. Um, this series changed Uh, several people's lives changed uh, the direction of our church and and brought about, you know, a robust kind of awakening in our inner church, and this became really kind of a great start for the year for us, and so because of that, we're actually going to jump in here and and we're going to actually do another church-wide campaign next year titled 40 Days in the Word, Uh, but this series, Transform, was all about transforming seven key areas of our lives, you know, in order for us to follow God where He wants us to go, and then we jumped into a series titled Be Strong and Courageous, which was a series that was based on the book of Joshua and what we talked about is that God has a plan for my life and he has a plan for your life just like he did for Joshua and God has things he wants to accomplish through all of us we just need to be obedient and we need not to hesitate and we need to follow his lead and be strong and courageous and this series was a great way to get prepared for the work that God is calling all of us to do and then we changed things up and we did a, a series on parenting titled Parenting Fail. Uh, if you're a parent, you know what that's like, right? Um, we talked about the most common pitfalls um, that we tend to fall in as parents, you know, like such as trying to be our kids' friends instead of their parents or forgetting to extend grace to our children. And we talked about that. that you know, what the Bible says about these things and, and how to avoid those pitfalls and how to, to fix it when we fall into those, those pitfalls. And then following that, we spent several weeks in a series titled Portraits of Christianity and we really got up close and personal and examined what it looked like to follow Jesus. And as we talked about, you know, the important thing, important things like, you know, why do we call Jesus Lord if we don't want to do what he says? You know, or why would we call ourselves Christians if we don't want to do what Jesus did, which is to love our enemies? Um... And, and so, in this series, we realized that, that that we're being called into salvation, not simply just to exist. We were called into salvation out of the darkness to be to, to grow and to become more like Christ. That we become living images of God here on earth, which was what the plan was from the start. And then we spent six weeks in a series titled "Go," where we tackled the fact that we. Are all called to get involved in the Great Commission, and we spent several weeks developing a plan on how to do that in fact, we wrapped up that series last week by giving you an opportunity to get involved by inviting everyone you know who doesn 't know Christ to come to our Christmas program uh, Christmas special next week and we encourage everybody to do that but I want you to think about this we 've gone through seven different series, including um, several single messages. Um, Like Vision Sunday or The Temptation of Christ, and messages by our brother Keith on Jonah and Philemon. Uh, But in this, but But in these series, we've tackled important subjects like evangelism, apologetics, discipleship, and and spiritual growth. And all of these areas are areas that we need to continually study and we need to continually grow in as we follow Christ. And so what we've done is we've sought to make studying these subjects easier for you. And so we've done a couple of things to, to help you with that. And so the first thing that we did is we've saved every one of these messages and every one of these series is, you know, on our SoundCloud page and our church website. And the addresses for your convenience are already written in your bulletin. You just type them up and then, then off you go. And, and you can listen to all the series and all these messages there for free. And you can do that tw- seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And so if you missed anything that we talked about this year, if you've, you know, if you've missed any series or any particular message, you can go back and get caught up. Or perhaps maybe one of these messages or one of these series really spoke into your life and you feel you got something out of it and you like to, to listen again. Well, you can re-listen to them as many times as you want to. Or maybe you have a friend you know, who has big questions or you have a family member who's kind of a, on the fence about coming to faith, you can send them to any, of the, to any to a link from your from your cell phone or, or from your email to any of these series that we that we sp- uh, spoke on, and you can send it to them that will uh, the ones that you think they'll speak to them. You see, this is a resource that we're making available to you guys for free. And and all the series that we've done this year, and all the series we've done last year, and every series we're going to do this coming year will be online available to you and your friends and your family for free uh, on our SoundCloud page and our church website. It's kind of one of our gifts to you. In addition to that, we're also giving you access to thousands, and I can't overemphasize that, thousands of Bible studies and sermons by hundreds of different pastors and teachers Um, on lots of different subjects on right now media and again this is a free resource to you there's lots of important topics such as discipleship and marriage and serving and parenting and personal finance and 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 holiness and apologetics and I think I might have said discipleships Uh, but 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 there's a bible study for every topic and there are bible studies for every age group including teenagers and even even children and so you can use this you know uh, for your small group you can use it for your family you know you can do like family bible studies or you can use this personally for for devotions and again this is another resource that that first baptist church is extending to you in order to help you to become mature in following uh christ and uh all we need for you uh to get you started on this is just give us your email address and then what we'll do is send you an invitation to get you connected and and if you've requested an invitation already uh maybe you need to check your spam filter or if you haven't gotten that invitation just just write your name and email address down i'll make sure that you get another invitation but um with that, okay, we are wrapping up this year, I really feel like on a positive note, because we've accomplished so much this year. And we've been able to do a lot for our community, and we've been able to do a lot for our church family as well. And, and I'm, I'm just grateful to you and, and all of you who serve here uh, that make all this possible, but I'm especially grateful to God for what he has accomplished through all of us this year, and and it really makes me feel good, and and I'll have to admit it, okay, Uh, I have to admit that this time of year, I tend to get a little bit more emotional this time of year, okay, that's just the way I am, I can't help it, I'm wired up that way, I mean, this time of year, I have, I've, I've become really reflective, you know, and I think about, you know, things that are good, and so I feel good about the things that we've accomplished, but at the same time, and this time of year, sadly, as two thousand fifteen is coming to a close, I, you know, th- there's also a little bit of sadness, you know, and isn't that the way that this time of year is? It's strangely emotional, you know. It's, it's a wonderful time of year, but it, it's sad sometimes, you know, as well. And, and, and I mean, think about this: the Christmas season is the most wonderful time of the year, and, and I firmly believe that. And yet, there's something, you know, about this time of year that also makes it one of the darkest times of the year. Okay. I mean, we love the lights and the food and the decorations, and we love the music, and we love the, the smell of peppermint, everything, right? We love Christmas trees and candy canes and the smiles of kids' faces when they open their presents. We love, you know, time with family and sharing and loving and catching up. You know, in this short, condensed time frame, you know, we come together with as many of our friends and family as we possibly can. You know, it's a wonderful time of year, but at the same time, we, we still struggle, because so much of our family and so much of our relationships are, for lack of a better word, so complicated, right? I mean, you have family members who won't show up. And then there are those who, who if they do show up, you have to separate them, you know, and, and with separate times and separate venues for different people because they can't all get in the same room together. Can of know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You spend the whole year kind of ignoring those problems and suddenly, this time of year, these problems are like right in your face, right? You know, Christmas, as wonderful as it is, it reminds us, you know, because of our family dynamics, that not all is right with the world. In fact, you know, my family this Christmas Eve, things are actually starting to get back to normal because the last few years, we just weren't welcome around certain people, you know, there were just certain people we just, we couldn't be around because of some things that happened. And and these weren't even things that we did. You know what I mean? It was something somebody else did. And it became complicated. And it was hard to deal with that. And and, and there were, you know, there was just certain people we couldn't get in, in, in the room with. And then as Christmas approached, it was a reminder of all of that drama and that pain again. And many of you know, you know. What I'm talking about, because you've had those kind of experiences yourself too. And Christmas magnifies it because everything gets so compressed down into a short time frame. You have Christmas Eve, you have Christmas, right? And that kind of thing. And, and you're trying to figure out who gets to be with who and what time. And, you know, and everybody's more emotional this time of year. And, and for many of us, this issue isn't, isn't just who's going to be there. The issue is also who's not going to be there, right? I mean, for many of us, Christmas reminds us of who is not at home. Some, of, some people have family in other states. Some have family who serve in the military. Some have family and friends who've passed on. And Christmas just isn't the same without them. I know for Kim and I, you know, you know not only do we have, you know, have had those family conflicts in the past. But this year, my son, he's not going to come home. I haven't seen him since February. I haven't seen him in almost a year, and he will not come home for Christmas. You know, that's never happened. He's always been home for Christmas. But because of his duty to the Army, he can't come home this year. And, and so this Christmas is going to feel different without him. It, it, it will be a little darker without him. I mean, it hurts my heart, like right now, you know, thinking about this, that he's not going to be able to come home, and I won't be able to see him. And, and, and the thought of spending Christmas away from him, makes me a little bit sad and, and, and so many of us know what I'm talking about because you have people in your life that you're just going to miss this time of year. Christmas magnifies those feelings and if that weren't not enough, then there's the depression and the anxiety that so many people feel this time of year and then there's the pressure of finances so many people struggle with, you know, trying to give everybody a gift and then there's the stress of just trying to get everything ready, decorations, food and all the other stuff, and church events. Christmas is the most wonderful time of year, but sometimes it also feels like a terrible time of year, too. Sometimes it feels like a dark time of year, because here's the thing. Okay, at Christmas, what makes it so wonderful and sometimes so terrible? and I, I'm not just telling you it's, it's mostly wonderful. Okay, I'll tell you that. Okay, but but what creates this tension that we feel at Christmas is is that Christmas exaggerates our feelings. I know it does for me. Okay, and it exaggerates our emotions, and I've said, and it exaggerates the bad. But at the same time, Christmas still points to something that is absolutely wonderful and absolutely incredible, because Christmas is absolutely the most wonderful time. Of year. But let me just tell you, it's not the most wonderful time of year because of what is happening around us. it's the most wonderful time of year, but it's not the most wonderful time of year because what's happening, you have to understand that, because what's happening oftentimes at Christmas and what gets exaggerated and what gets focused on, you know, because of the time is compressed and our emotions are magnified, is that at Christmas, this emotional time of year, we're reminded that there are just problems we can't solve. Okay, we're also reminded of that at Christmas and we're reminded that there are just people that we can't control, right? and that there are circumstances we can't change and there are expectations that we can't meet. The truth is also, if you pause long enough and you're willing to look hard enough in the mirror, I just might see that I might be the problem that I can't solve. I might be the person that I can't seem to control. And I might be the cause of the circumstances that I can't change. And I'm the person oftentimes setting expectations that other people will never be able to meet. So Christmas is certainly the most wonderful time of year, but it's not necessarily the most wonderful time of year because of what's happening. Christmas is absolutely the most wonderful time of year because of what has happened. You see, at Easter, we celebrate an event, you know, a one-time event, but at Christmas, we celebrate a season. We look forward to an event that changed everything, where God sent his son into the world to be the very center of history. And more importantly, that that for you and for me, he sent his son to be the very center of my life and the very center of your life. And when, when Jesus becomes the center of your life... It centers our lives on something stable and something rock solid and something hopeful and something that gives us true purpose. It gives us a sense that I don't need to fear anything, even though there are so many things to fear. There's a sense that, that at Christmas, it's not the most wonderful time of year because of who physically is or is not with us. It's the most wonderful time of year because at Christmas, we are reminded of who is for us. And the darker things get, and the more complicated things get. And at Christmas, everything gets a little bit exaggerated. But at the same time, we're able to focus on the light of this world that has come into the world to shine into the darkness of our lives, to change us and make us brand new creations and give us a hope. The light of this world came to give us something we didn't already have. He came to give us eternal life. Now, most of you already know, you know, uh, if you, especially if you grew up in church, that, the, that in the New Testament, the very beginning, those first four books um, are, the, are the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And essentially, there are four different accounts of the life of Jesus. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. In fact, uh, Bible scholars call these books the Synoptic Gospels. It's a fancy word. means similar. Okay? So, uh, but they call them the Synoptic, go- synoptic Gospels. And, uh, and, and they're so uh, similar, and they cover really kind of some of the same ground. Uh, but, the, but, the, but John's account is really quite different. And John, unlike Matthew and unlike, uh, unlike Luke, he doesn't give a birth narrative. He actually uh, you know, doesn't talk so much about the birth of Christ the way Matthew and Luke do. Instead, John gives us a different perspective. He actually starts from the beginning, uh, not at the beginning of, of, of the physical life of Jesus here on earth. He actually starts from the beginning of all things. It begins in the beginning of all of creation. And the thing is, it's fascinating about the Gospel of John. And it's something that so many people don't, don't think about when you read the Bible or pay attention to or pick up on. In fact, many people, when they read the Bible, they think the Bible is just a collection of stories. But actually, the Bible is, is history, not just stories. Okay? And because it's history, there are real people involved and real events involved. And there's always an underlying story to the narrative. And the thing about John's Gospel that's so unique, especially this time of year, when, when, is, is when John wrote this Gospel, he was a very, very old man. He was very old when he wrote the book of John that that bears his name. In fact, almost all scholars believe that this is the last gospel written. And most scholars would agree that this is almost the last book uh, written, period. In fact, they believe that that John wrote uh, the gospel of John. And then uh, he wrote the book of Revelation. So so the gospel of John is one of the latest books in the Bible. And and so writing this book late in his life is almost a sense that John kind of came to this place where he was like... You know what? I better write this stuff down. You know, I'm not going to be here much longer. You know, and I want to make sure that these stories get passed accurately down to future generations. Because there is absolutely no doubt that that John has told these stories many, many, many times, many hundreds of times, maybe even thousands of times. I mean, imagine this: if you actually were at the feet of Jesus, how popular you would have been with the early Christians. And John, wherever he went, was probably people were probably saying to him, John, tell us what it was like to be with. Jesus I mean we've heard the stories but but you were an eyewitness so tell us what it was like and so we told these stories many many times and so John has this incredible incredible insight into the life of Christ and this incredible experience uh, during his lifetime that he spent with Jesus but even more than that John he was the man in one of his letters who reduced God down to a single word John is the person who sat back and thought, "Mm, let me me make this simple and clear. God God is love. You remember that, right? right? You've heard that before. God is love. That's the one word definition of God. Even people who don't believe in God have heard this before. And John is the one who said that. John is the one who said that God is love. And what's amazing about this, of John saying that, is that John, with everything he's seen and everything he's experienced in his life, you see, he's a very old man, and he's experienced loss in his life like you cannot possibly imagine. No matter who you are, no matter what your story is, you can't imagine the kind of loss that he's he's had. He's lost friends, he's lost family members. And somewhere along the way, he almost lost his entire society and his entire culture. I mean, think about this. John was alive when Nero sent General Vespasian into Galilee. And Vespasian began to work his way through Galilee, rolling up one town and one city after the next, slaughtering thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish people, enslaving thousands and thousands of men, women, and children in the slave markets of Rome. I mean, we thought 9-11 was bad. John lived to the time when Vespasian left his son outside of the city of Jerusalem, that holy city of Jerusalem, where John had spent many years and had many experiences, and some of the most amazing events of his life happened in Jerusalem. And either he was he saw the city surrounded, or perhaps he was even in the city of Jerusalem for those seven months when people were starving to death and plagues broke out as the Roman city, the Romans built a, a, a ditch and a wall all around all the way around the city, trying to get into the city. And then at the end of the Jewish war at, in AD 70, where John was either there, or he heard the story about how the temple was destroyed and burnt all the way to the ground. Over millions of Jews were slaughtered, and over 300,000 Jews were forced into slavery. See, by the time he had written the Gospels, his friend Peter and his friend Paul had been executed by Nero. All of his fellow disciples were dead, okay. And though, and through all that bloodshed, and through all of that loss, and through all of that chaos, you know, things that we can't even imagine, John never lost faith. He never lost faith. In fact, in the end of his gospel, he writes this. He says, "He says, um, now Jesus did many other things, because John actually had filled his gospel with signs that uh, that Jesus performed." He said Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And so what he's essentially saying is, like, you know, what I've done here is I'm just giving you a sample. I'm kind of giving you, like, a taste of what it was like to be here on Jesus. There's so many more things that he's done. Uh, But these are written, he says, that you may believe. That you may believe. In other words, what what John is saying is, I'm leaving this with you. I'm writing this gospel down. I'm writing my account of Jesus' life for you. That if you will read it, that you just won't simply be impressed. Okay. I'm writing this so that you won't just simply be amazed. Or that you will simply just think that Jesus is some good teacher. I'm writing this so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. And by believing, you may have what? You may have Life. And not just physical life, because everyone reading this has physical life, but a different kind of life, a spiritual life, a never ending kind of life. Okay? He said that you might have life in His. So the point of what John, you know, in spite of what John had seen, and in spite of what John had smelled, in spite of what John had experienced in his life, at the end of his life with the destruction of everything important to him and with the loss of just about everybody that's important to him, John still believed. He still believed that Jesus was a source of some kind of amazing life that went beyond the physical life. That that John believed that Jesus was a source of all creation and all created things. But John also believed that Jesus was a source of an extraordinary life that death can't touch. That in the end, death can't do anything with. And so when he begins his gospel, he doesn't begin with, with, with the birth narrative. Okay, and this is this is fascinating because if you think about this you know when when Jesus was on the cross Jesus says to John this same John writing this gospel Jesus says to him John I want you to take care of my mom I want you to take her as your own mother I want you to take her home with you and he says to Mary, you know, Jesus' is his own mom, he says, I want you to view John as your son. And so John was to take care of Jesus' mom for the rest of her life. And so John and Mary spent a lot of time together. And think about this. Over the years, just imagine John had heard over and over and over again the birth narrative. Mary told the story over and over again. I mean, that's how people, you know, that's what they do when they get together remembering someone they love. They retell stories over and over again. You do it. I do it. I mean, there are stories about loved ones that I've told to my kids like 50 times, and they ask me to tell them again and again and again. And so John had heard over and over again this birth narrative, and if anyone had an opportunity to say, Mary, will you just tell me again one more time? What was it like when you discovered that you were pregnant? Mary, you know, how did you feel when the angel appeared? Mary, what was Joseph's reaction when you told him? You know, Mary, what was it like when you bore the Son of God? I mean, he heard this story so many times because he was there. He was the one that took care of of Jesus' mom all the way to the day that that she died. And yet, John, he begins his gospel. He doesn't begin with shepherds. He doesn't begin with a manger. He doesn't begin with Egypt or, or Herod and the slaughter of children in Bethlehem. He actually begins with the significance of who Christ is and the significance of Christ coming to earth and what that actually means. And Just like there were very dark days when John wrote this gospel, John was reminded that Jesus was born into a time that was very, very dark as well. And so when he sat down to start his gospel... Okay, and before he got into the narrative and before he got into the details, you know here 's what he said and, and, and this is extremely powerful because at the time okay, in our lives in this season you know in our lives when, when things are so complicated okay, and we 're reminded of who is coming and who is not coming, and we 're reminded of all the things that we can have this Christmas, but we 're also reminded of the things that we 'll never get, and when we 're reminded of the joy and the pain, John begins his gospel of the birth of Christ this way he says in the beginning. And not just the beginning of the story. Not just the beginning of Jesus' life on the earth. The beginning of all creation. The beginning of space and time itself. The beginning before God even created the heavens and the earth. Okay, In the beginning was the Word. And we know for certain in this context, when John writes the Word or the Logos, he's referring to Jesus Christ. Okay, So in the beginning was the Word, Christ... And the word Christ was with God, and the word Christ himself was God. Now let's just stop there for a second. Long before this story began, long before there was any nation of Israel, long before there was any earth, Christ existed for eternity, and he was with God, and he was himself God. You see, John takes us all the way back to the beginning of creation, and he tells us that Christ was with God and that Christ himself was God. And this is important because look what he says next. He says, all things were made through him. All things. All things. The universe and everything in it. Okay? All things. Jesus is the source of all things. Jesus is the source of creation. Jesus is the source of even physical life all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then you notice what he says next. He says, in him was life. Not just physical life. Okay? He is certainly the source of physical life, but it isn't just physical life he's talking about here. John is talking about a new kind of life. And in him was life. And what John was trying to put into words, because John had so much perspective and so much experience about it, and what he's seen come and go, and the people that he saw born and, you know, and die, and all the destruction and of all that's important to him, he summarizes this, kind of this way he says, you know, and when I think about Jesus, the best way I know how to put, put him into words is, you know, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus was the light of men, or better stated, Jesus was the light of all mankind. Now this was a huge, huge statement because Jesus, when he showed up on the scene, his followers began to view him as the Jewish Messiah. And because of that they thought well that what Jesus was going to do was a regional thing they thought that what Jesus was going to do was going to be for Israel because they expected for what he, they expected from him as, as the Messiah was that he would literally ascend to the throne of David become the king of Israel you know and, and rightfully as the king of Israel he would lead a rebellion to overthrow the Roman government that was oppressing them at the time and then Israel would then be the lone superpower in the world forever and ever and ever and that's exactly what they expected But John, when he was this old man, after everything he saw, he now realized that that Jesus didn't simply come for just them. He didn't simply come for just the Jews. He didn't simply come to be the king of Israel. What Jesus came for was, was for all mankind, for everyone. And he brought with him a brand new element of life that brought a light that was a light for all mankind because John was there. When Jesus had had risen from the dead, and and everyone gathered together, and they, they they saw him, and they asked him, "Is now the time that you're coming to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is now the time that you're going to restore the nation of Israel? All right, I mean, are we going to do something new, something that runs the, the Romans out of out of town so we can establish our independence? Are we going to make Israel a great nation again? Is now that time?" And and John was there when Jesus said. That's not any of your business. <laughs> the reason why you're here is to go, you know, into every single nation and share with every single ethnic group and every single people group what you've heard me say. That you're going to make disciples of all the nations. That the light isn't just a Jewish light. This was a light for all mankind. And then he says, again, he just starts off this gospel, and it's just kind of the introduction, but he says, The light shines in the darkness. And I kind of thought about it. The darkness around him—a darkness that again, that we can't even begin to imagine. And he said, in spite of everything that happened, and in spite of everyone who had died, and everyone who had been executed, and everyone who had been crucified, and everyone who had been taken away, in spite of the fact that the whole Jewish nation is now out of business, okay, in spite of the fact that the temple is destroyed, and the sacrificial system is also out of business, never to be restarted again, in spite of the fact that everything that, that, that he has ever known and grown to love, in spite of all of this, he says... The light shines in the darkness. And then he says, the darkness has not. And if you can just imagine, like, John writing this down, maybe he paused here and thought, you know, what's the right word here? Okay? I mean, it's like everybody understands what it means for the light to shine in the darkness. Light shines in the darkness and exposes things that are hidden in the dark. But this light, the light of Christ, the light of Jesus, it shines in the darkness. And it, it's as if the darkness, as hard as it can, has tried to put it out. The darkness, with all of its might, has tried to snuff it out, to overwhelm it, to seize it, to imprison it, to surround it, to understand it. It's as if this hardened darkness of our world and our culture has tried everything it can do to blow out the This light, but John says the darkness has not overcome it. You see, this is a man who got the news that the apostle Paul had been executed. This is the same man who who got the news that his 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 friend Peter and his co-disciple, and a man who spent three and a half years of his life with as they walked around following Jesus together, had been executed. He's more likely the, the last apostle alive. And after everything he's seen, I still kind of imagine maybe, possibly a grin on his face where he says, in spite of everything this world has tried to do to eradicate this light of life, the darkness has not overcome it. It has not put it out. Caesar couldn't do it. Nero couldn't do it. Tiberius couldn't do it. The destruction of the temple didn't do it. Even the death of Christ himself didn't do it. Because again, this is the same John that raced to the tomb. Okay. He'd heard that, that the tomb was empty, and so he 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 ran to the tomb so fast he beat Peter there, but then he stopped, you know, because nobody rushes into the tomb except Peter. And, and, and eventually he peers into the tomb. And this is the same John that has breakfast with Jesus on the beach. And this is this is the same. This is The same John that had watched Thomas go from doubt to firm belief. This is the same John that was absolutely convinced that no matter what happens in this life and no matter what happens, you know, we face in this life, no matter how deep the heartache and no matter how extreme the fear and no matter how deep the depression, that there is a light that shines in the darkness and that there's no amount of darkness and no type of darkness that can ever, ever put it out. And so at Christmas when we're confronted about maybe like we're never confronted about any other time of year. At Christmas when we're confronted with the fact that there are just problems you can't solve. And that you have, you know, and maybe you're the problem you can't solve. and Or maybe you're the problem somebody else is trying to solve. Or this time of year when you're confronted by the fact that people, you know, you just can't control them. And no matter how many times you explain yourself, and no matter how many times you rationalize, no matter how many times you try to get them to understand your story and be empathetic to you, they still you can't control other people. And this time of year that there are circumstances that you've never will never be able to change. There are things in your life that you just can't change, and that there are expectations you will never, ever, ever be able to meet. We are reminded in the midst of all of this darkness, in the midst of all that pain, Jesus is the life and the light of the world that overcomes all darkness. And there is always hope. There's always a reason to believe. Because there's a God who hears our prayers. And there's a reason to wake up every single day and to take that next step and keep going. There's always a reason to hope. Because what makes this the most wonderful time of year is not necessarily what's happening, okay? But what happened when your Heavenly Father and my Heavenly Father sent His Son into the world. Because in Him, as John says, is the light of men, the light of all mankind. And that light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Not then, not now, and not ever. For God so loved the world. That means you, and that means me. God so loved the world that he did what in love people do he gave. And he gave what was most precious to him, he gave his only son, that whoever, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter whose house you were not invited to, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have the very moment they believe They have the very thing you can't have without Jesus. They have eternal life. And nothing, no amount of darkness, in this world, nothing, no matter how dark, can ever, ever change that. Now that's a pretty basic, pre-Christmas kind of message. So the question is, what do you do with this? I mean... Now that you know this, what do you do with this? Well, it really just depends on, you know, on who you are because this really has two applications. I mean, if you have not in your lifetime put your trust in Jesus or become a follower of Christ, I want to share one, one other thing with you that, that uh, Jesus said. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a beautiful promise. You see, in the darkness of this world, there is an eventual darkness that you cannot escape if you do not follow Jesus. But you can take steps right now to step out of the darkness and into the the light. You can step out of death and into life, a life that you have never known, an abundant life, a forever life through Jesus Christ. You just need to trust Him as your Savior. And to do that, it's really simple. You just need to understand that you're a sinner. <laughs> and like every sinner, you are destined to be judged and punished, and rightfully so. And you need to understand that you can't fix it. You can't make yourself right with God no matter what you do, because your sin covers you know, and stains every part of your life, even the good stuff. So you're hopeless unless God saves you. And once again, you just need to accept the truth that God loved you so much that He sent His Son To pay for your sin. And if you will believe in him, you will be saved. In fact, you only have one choice. You either believe and live or you don't believe and you perish and remain condemned. But if you believe in him, then today confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And if you are ready to do that, you're ready to take that step today. If you have never actually placed your hope in Jesus Christ, you do not have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're ready to receive Him today as your Savior, then let's let's all pray together. In fact, let's all bow our heads. And if today's the day for you, that you are ready to receive Christ, then pray with me. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I realize I'm broken. And I realize that I'm hopeless without You. And I realize I deserve the worst... That I don't deserve anything good. And I realize that, that I can't fix it. No matter of good stuff I do can offset the fact that I'm covered it with, with, with sin in my life. And, and I, just, I just confess that now, Lord. And I'm hopeless. But I do take you at your promise. You said that you sent your son into this world. If I believe in him, that I'll be saved. That I'll have eternal life. Well, I, I believe in him. And I'm going to confess right now. I'm going to confess right now that Jesus is the Lord of my life. I want to follow him. And I believe in my heart that you rose rose him from the dead, that he was dead and you made him alive again, physically proving that he is all that he claimed to be and he can do what he promised to do, which is save me. And so I trust you and I just pray that you send the Holy Spirit in my life and my heart to change me and and to confirm for me that I belong to you. And help me now to follow you the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Amen. Now if you made that decision to follow Christ today, will you just take a moment and let us know? And you can do that several different ways. You can actually just, like, come up and talk to me after the service. I'll be here to hang around. Uh, or if it, maybe you're a little shy, you can actually just write your name, you know, on one of those information request cards and put whatever contact information you're comfortable with. And on the back of it, there's a little box you can check that says, I received Christ today. Or you can stop by my office here. I'm usually here Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, and I'd be happy to, to talk with you. But the second group of people I want to address are those believers um, who who already know Christ. And I'm going to share with you something that Jesus said. He said, You are the light of the world. (laughs) You see, when you become a follower of Christ, God comes to live inside of you, and then that light begins to shine through you. You're the light of the world. So don't hide it. (laughs) Share it. Go out in the world and share it. And a practical way for you to do that is for you to invite all of your family and your friends who do not know Christ here next week. Let's fill up both services completely with people who don't know Christ and that way they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're going to give them an extended invitation to come up here and be saved. Invite them all. And you can grab some of the invitations that are loose on the back table or you can actually grab a couple of the envelopes back there and we've got a few more streets still to cover. Please, 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 please help us with that. You know, just grab the envelope and just make sure, you know, an invitation gets on every door on that street. So your homework this week is, is not only to walk in the light, but also to be the light and get ready for the most wonderful time of year. Because it's wonderful not because of what's happening, but rather of what has happened already when God sent his son into the world to save you. Let me pray for you. Lord God, you're abundant in grace and mercy. You're abundant in, in, in the grace that you lavish upon us. That you sent your son to die for me. And uh, I know who I am, Lord. And so every day I wake up and I wonder, really? I mean, you want to save someone like me? And I know for a fact that if you can save someone like me, you can save anybody. And I just pray, Lord God, we'd walk in that, that we'd cherish that, that we would be defined by that. That our whole existence and our whole life would would gravitate and be centered upon that. That Jesus died to save my soul. What an awesome and amazing thought. May we never lose the importance of that. May that be the foundational center point linchpin of our life. That everything hinges on that. And we spend the rest of our lives just trying to glorify you. And say thank you in the way that we live. Because of our gratitude of what you've done for us. And I just pray that all of us would go out and share that hope and the healing of Christ with other people, and that this would be the beginning of a brand new season, Lord, where people get changed. We are calling out into the open now, Lord, for, for restoration of our community. We are, we are calling for revival, Lord, in this church. We're calling for revival in this community, Lord. We're calling for a revival that that, that, that is just... unheard of, Lord, that people would find out about this little town of Boron and wonder what's going on here, and they would find out that it's Jesus. And I just pray for that kind of transformation. I pray for healed families. I pray for healed relationships. And I pray, Lord God, that you would bless and protect all that are here and all that are not here. And we thank you, Lord God, for your grace and your mercy. And we give you all the honor and the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.